Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Denise Woodard. Denise is the founder and CEO of Partake Foods, a line of gluten-free, vegan, and allergy-friendly packaged foods. Denise started her business in 2016 after her daughter was diagnosed with multiple food allergies and after learning that as many as one in 13 children in the U.S. have some form of food allergy. Though Partake Foods has found incredible success, having grown their product reach to over 8,000 stores across the country, starting the business was a struggle for Denise and her family. She cashed out her 401k and maxed out multiple credit cards in the process, and she received 86 no's from VC firms before finally finding an investor in Jay-Z's firm, Marcy Venture Partners. After that, Denise became the first black woman to have raised $1 million for a packaged food company. And while being a barrier-breaking entrepreneur can bring with it a sense of pride, Denise has been open about the fact that it also carries with it a heavy burden that she has had to learn to cope with as well. My full conversation with Denise Woodard right after this quick break. Denise Woodard, founder and CEO of Partake Foods. Thank you so much for joining Imposters. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm excited for our conversation. So you have both an inspirational and also a somewhat classic story of entrepreneurship in that you discovered early in your daughter Vivian's life, I believe you call her Vivi, right? Yep. Uh, That she suffered from multiple food allergies and then you did what any good parent would do, which is you started baking and creating foods in your own kitchen that were safe for her to eat. Prior to that, did you have any inclination towards entrepreneurship? Is it something that you dreamed of growing up? I didn't dream of it. My dad's an entrepreneur. He was in the army for a while, got out, became an over-the-road truck driver, and eventually saved up enough money to get a truck and then another truck and runs a small trucking company in my hometown of Fayetteville, North Carolina. So I'd seen firsthand how hard and all-consuming entrepreneurship was, wanted no parts of it, but always had a side hustle. I spent my career in corporate America at Coca-Cola, had an eBay business that made six figures. I had a ticket brokering business. So I always had some non-scalable random side hustle, but never thought I would be a full-time entrepreneur. I love that. I love the the dynamic duo of eBay, uh, as well as your other uh, side hustles. So at what point in your creation of these snack foods for your daughter, did you realize that this could be more than just the food that you were giving her, but actually a business that could be larger than you initially anticipated? It was um, almost like something out of a movie. I was in line at the Turtleback Zoo in New Jersey with my husband. It's such a good zoo with my husband and my daughter. And I was telling my husband, Jeremy, you won't believe the idea that Martha, who is our nanny, had. She was like, you should start a food company for Vivian. And this person in line in front of us turned around. I wish I knew where he was today. And he was like, it sounds like you have a great idea. You should do something about it. There's a small business pitch competition called the Start Something Challenge for Small Businesses in New Jersey. That was 
a Saturday afternoon. The deadline to enter the contest was that Monday. I went home and incorporated a business that I called Vivi's Life because I didn't know exactly what I was going to do other than make Vivi's life easier. And I entered the pitch competition and I won. So that gave me some confidence. It also came with some local press, which forced me to tell my employer what I was doing. And they were like, nice idea. But when you have an actual product, this is a conflict of interest and you have to hit the road, which was probably one of the biggest blessings in disguise on this journey that I've had. I love that. It's so cool to just hear how kind of like the seed of a business starts in such an organic way, in a way that feels obviously so much smaller than where ultimately the business gets to. Like even in the early days of our business, I remember our first money ever was a grant competition at the University of Michigan. And so it's uh, it's such a cool story. But based on my understanding of your journey, you continued working in corporate America at Coca-Cola for a little while before deciding to take the full plunge and dedicate yourself 100% to Partake Foods. What was the tipping point for you and what did going all in look like in the early days of the business? So initially for the first year, I was moonlighting early mornings, late nights, weekends, trying to figure out where I would make the product, how I would make the product, what the product would be exactly. And then when I actually had our original three flavors of crunchy cookies in August of 2017, I left Coca-Cola to start Partake. And just talk about for a second, how hard of a decision was that for you? How big of a risk did it feel like you were taking to leave a steady job to ultimately run this business? Take me through the mentality. So I felt kind of like the decision had been made for me because at this point they knew about the idea. And so if I was going to do it, I had to leave my corporate job. Had the small business pitch competition not happened, I probably would have tried to turn this into like a farmer's market side hustle and we wouldn't be where we are today. So I really credit the winning of the pitch competition to be the thing that pushed me. Also, at the same time, I was looking for a manufacturing partner and there's not very much top eight allergen-free manufacturing that exists. And I thought, well, there's no good in going to my local commercial kitchen because what's a peanut-free cookie if I'm making it right next door to somebody who's making peanut butter? Um, so I needed like a legit contract manufacturer from day one. The group that I wanted to work with was working with large multinational companies and they weren't really interested in working with a woman who was cold calling them. But I thought I'll show them. I ended up running a Kickstarter campaign that finished in the top 1% of food Kickstarters at the time. And so that point I had really laid it out there. I had done the pitch competition. I had done the Kickstarter campaign. And so I'd seen the results of both of those things too, which was a win on the pitch competition front and a successful Kickstarter. So I felt like I had enough momentum. And if not, then, then when? I think uh, this is such a good lesson in this notion that probably because we continue to perpetuate the using of the phrase taking the plunge, that people view the jump into entrepreneurship as this like super risk-loving move where you just throw everything in life to the side and you just, you go for it. And if it doesn't work out, you have no options. But I think the way that you just described your thought process is likely how a lot of entrepreneurs approach it, which is more of like this crawl, walk, run approach, where it's like every bit of momentum creates a little bit more confidence that this thing could work. And the downside that you're looking at looks just a little bit better. And then the amount of downside you're willing to take on depends on the entrepreneur. Yep, that is exactly right. I love it. So I read something or somewhere that you had cash out your 401k, you had maxed out your credit cards, you sold your engagement ring to make this business work. Is that true? 
That is all true. Then I opened up new credit cards to max those out when there wasn't enough money. So that is all accurate. I was going to say, you sound like the early Airbnb founders. I believe they had binders of credit cards that were in slots just so that they didn't lose any. What gave you the courage and conviction to put up so much financial risk on your side? So I think to your point earlier about the walk crawl, no crawl, walk, run. Um, it was similar. So I didn't do all of that on day one. I did one of those things and then we were getting phenomenal results at retail. And then I got a yes from Whole Foods and was like, holy cow, how am I going to afford to make this product? So I had to do one of the other things. And then I was trying to raise money, but I just wasn't successful. And so I had to do one of the other things to be able to keep the lights on. And so it wasn't kind of an all in one day. I was like, I'm just going to put all the money that I have, the money I don't have into this. It was, you know, let me see what the business results show and that will make me more comfortable going all in. I think the fact that I was starting this company because of my daughter and while she was young at the time, she still understood the concept of it. And so I think that also really pushed me to not want to quit. Like it would be one thing if the business just failed, but me looking at her and saying like, mommy started this thing for you, but then it got really hard and people said no. So I was like, yeah, never mind. Like I couldn't live with myself if I did that. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll hear about the moment that Denise knew her business would work, what she's learned about the rejection-heavy process of fundraising, and how she handles the pressures of being a founder and CEO. Stay with us. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And we're back. Before the break, Denise described the early days of building Partake Foods and what gave her the encouragement to keep going when things got tough. But I was curious to hear what the major turning points were for her when the business started to take off. When you think about your journey, I feel like there's certain inflection points that happen to every entrepreneur where they're like, oh, this is gonna, this can be a big business. Like This tells me there's something beyond what I thought we could do. Like for for us at Morning Brew, it was the first time I saw a stranger reading our newsletter and not just my grandma in Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> what were those moments for you? Biggest inflection points were... I did hundreds of demos at Whole Foods and it was important to me to show that this could work outside of like New York and LA. So we launched Whole Foods in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Texas. And I did hundreds of demos and to see the reaction and to see our sales results. And that was about a year into the business. That was a big inflection point. I think the next big inflection point was in the summer of 2019, about two years after I'd left my job, when we raised a million dollar seed round from Marcy Venture Partners, which is Jay-Z's fund. And to see those folks say yes to us, the other folks that we were able to bring around the table in the form of investors, but also the reception that we got from the public was another really key inflection point. 
this is the perfect segue to talking about raising money. You had mentioned that you raised a million dollars from Jay-Z's VC firm, Marcy Venture Partners. What you didn't mention was the 86 no's that you had received prior to that. Talk about just what the entire fundraising process was like for you and a few of the biggest lessons you learned in that process. Sure. So once we got the yes from Whole Foods and we got the yes from Wegmans, I knew that I needed to raise some outside capital, Um, went out to try to raise friends and family capital. There's no accredited investors in my family. So I'm using that term loosely. It was my old colleagues, my husband's old colleagues. It came in five and $10,000 checks. We have a mile long cap table, but it was always enough money to keep the business going. It was folks who weren't seasoned investors, but had faith in what I was building. And so I'm forever, forever grateful to those folks for the decision that they made to invest and partake. Um, and then eventually, as we continued to be in Whole Foods and Wegmans and get traction from other retailers, I need realized I needed more outside capital. We got a lot of no's. And then Marcy said yes. And I think the few lessons that I learned in that journey were, one, it was important to start raising money before you actually needed the money. I really underestimated how my lack of speaking VC language and my lack of network would really not serve me well. And so I should have been out building that community before I actually needed the money. Um, I think that we built a stronger business because of the lack of funds that we had though. I don't know if we'd still be here today if I had been well-funded from the beginning. I had to have such an intense understanding of every single dollar that was being spent and I couldn't afford to hire anyone. So I had to really understand how to do all the jobs. And so I think it made me a stronger business person. I think it made the business stronger. And then I think on like the self-doubt and confidence part, like it was interesting because we got all these no's and then Marcy said yes. And then half the no's came back and they were like, (laughs) you know, actually I'm interested. like same founder, same product, same traction. And now one person said, yes. So you're, the, yeah. the FOMO is real. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And so that was a, an interesting lesson. That's awesome. You just have so much to be proud about in your journey. And just the example that you've set for your daughter, you're notably the first black woman to have raised a million dollars for a packaged food company. You've had incredible success with Partake Foods. Your revenue has grown more than 4,000% since you started I believe you have product in over 8,000 stores across the US, but at the same time, in the face of all that success, you've been very open about the fact that while you're excited that the business is growing and you're able to be a role model for other black and POC entrepreneurs, this comes with a certain level of burden and responsibility. Can you describe what the feeling of this is and how you deal with any of the stress or anxiety that is associated with it? I think a lot of this is definitely self-imposed, but I feel a lot of self-imposed pressure to be successful because I think about our investors, I think about retailers, and I think about other black and brown folks who might not get a chance if my business doesn't go well. I think about the diversity programs that these retailers have put in place. And if the brands don't, brands like Partake don't perform, then it'll be easy to say, oh yeah, you know, we tried that diversity thing. It doesn't work. And then that closes the door for the next group of entrepreneurs. And so I feel a responsibility to use this opportunity that I have to mentor and bring along other entrepreneurs, other women entrepreneurs, other BIPOC entrepreneurs so that they can go further faster than I did so they don't make the same mistakes that I made. Um, and 
you know, I also try to keep it in perspective though. Like the whole burden doesn't lie on my shoulders, although like sometimes I, I think I make myself feel like it does. And so by having a community of other founders that I can go to who are, you know, like this is normal and the challenges are normal it has definitely been very refreshing. And then just like other techniques that I'm using personally to kind of manage through all the noise and all the, the pressure that comes with being a founder. I think being a solo founder is also really challenging and, and then also doing it while you have a family and like, you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy for anyone. You add on these other factors and like, it's, it's a lot. A hundred percent. And you mentioned some of these tactics or tools that you use to just navigate. I would say that call like the day-to-day stress that's associated with being a mom while being an entrepreneur, while doing all the other things that you're doing in your life. Tell me about what your mental health toolkit is. If I had to bucket into three, I would say the first is I know that my daughter views me as an example. And so thinking about my daughter, thinking about the mission and the positive impact that our company is having and why I'm doing this and really grounding myself in that, it's easy to get caught up in the revenue and the investor reports and all these other things. But like when I really hone in on the fact that our company wants to create a more inclusive future of food, that we want to do good in the world, like that keeps me going. Um, I keep my vision board at my desk. And so I think about kind of the bigger picture of what I'm trying to build and why I'm trying to build that. And then sometimes I, when I need to step away from the desk, I, um, it's interesting because I live in New York City and I feel like if I can find nature here, you can find nature anywhere. <laughs> I think getting out into nature and just realizing like the, the bigness of that and like that helps keep things in perspective. I have a daily meditation practice that has like worked wonders for me. Um, so those are some of the tools that I utilize to, to try to manage through. I love that. Well, Denise Water, thank you so much for joining Imposters. Congrats on all of your success. And uh, I think listeners are going to get so much value out of this episode. Thank you so much, Alex. Denise is humble about her entrepreneurial journey, but in reality, what she's achieved is something that she should be immensely proud of. The struggles she faced in finding funding as a first-time entrepreneur and as a woman of color, no less, is something that is unfortunately all too common in the entrepreneurial world. According to researchers from Columbia Business School and London Business School, businesses led by women are 63% less likely to obtain VC funding than those led by men. And last year, businesses with at least one black founder received only 1.2% of venture dollars invested in the US, and startups with all-women teams received 1.9% of that venture capital funding. Denise is as passionate about her business as she is about creating opportunities for other BIPOC entrepreneurs like herself. In 2020, Denise founded Black Futures in Food and Beverage, an annual fellowship program that mentors HBCU students and helps them secure internships and jobs at the program's end. And I think it's with efforts like this and with inspirational stories like Denise's that we'll hopefully start to see this change. Now, Imposters listeners, we need your help. We would love to hear from you on how the conversations on imposters have impacted your life. How does this show help you in your career or your personal life? Are there any particular guests or episodes that have stood out to you? And tell me the stuff that you haven't liked where you want the show to get better. Our goal is simple. We want to make this as valuable as humanly possible and make the show worthy of your time. So shoot me an email at alex at morningbrew.com and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our producer is Michaela Heck. 
Greg Jacobs is our video producer, and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. 